Hey there, this is Danny Sunshine Bauer from Better Leaders, Better Schools, and the School Leadership Series, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to the Instant Relevance Podcast. The Instant Relevance Podcast is an educational podcast featuring the latest news and resources to make learning relevant for all students. Follow us on Twitter at InstantRel. I'm Dennis Sheeran, author of Instant Relevance, using today's experiences to teach tomorrow's lessons, and Hacking Mathematics, 10 Problems That Need Solving. I'm a math teacher for 13 years and an administrator for six, and I am excited to be podcasting. I am Raymond Steinmetz, the co-host of the Instant Relevance podcast. I'm a K-8 math instructional coach in Rhode Island. I blog regularly at www.blendedlearningmath.com. I am also a guest writer at eSchool News and Education Post. Welcome back to the Instant Relevance Podcast. This is episode four. We have an exciting guest today. We have Rich Chiz, the author of The Four O'Clock Faculty. He's here to talk about how he revolutionizes PD. Um, before I jump into my first topic, uh, I want to ask Dennis, hey, Dennis, how are you doing? Uh, you know, I am doing really well, despite the fact that I don't know if I got any fumes left in the tank. I'm running on a little empty here. It's a busy start to a school year, and uh, it's exciting, though. It is, it's as energizing as it is tiring. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I started a new role this year. I really, you know, I had all these uh, great things I was doing over the summer. I was writing. We were starting a podcast, and then school year starts, and everything kind of hits the fan, and, you know, work is always the number one priority. So it's hard to find time to... Uh, to have the side projects and everything, but I'm excited to be back on the podcast talking to you today about some professional development. You know, part of my new role is providing professional development for educators. So I'm definitely interested in, you know, how I can improve my practice as far as providing professional development, also finding professional development and scheduling professional development for the teachers that I work for is a really big part of my job. And uh, it's something I want to get better at. And uh, I actually wanted to uh, bring something to the table today to start. It's a report from the Christian, sorry, the Christensen Institute. It's called The Teacher's Quest for Progress, How School Leaders Can Motivate Instructional Innovation. And this is a report where they did some research and they found really what drives teachers to take on instructional innovation. Because we all know that some initiatives really are hard to get by teachers. Uh, if you've ever tried to take a top-down approach uh, while working with teachers and try to implement something that they aren't ready for or they haven't really taken under their wing, we all know that that's just going to blow up in our faces. So this report and the research that the Christensen Institute has done has really gotten to the bottom of 
exactly what drives and motivates teachers to take on new initiatives. So they put it in uh, the context of jobs. So this theory that they have is called the jobs to be done theory. And they say that this is a framework for understanding why people adopt new products or services or initiatives. And um, the four jobs that they say here, and uh, if you can kind of put your kind of school leadership hat on here, uh, you, you could see these uh, kind of in action. Uh, the first job is, is help me lead the way in improving my school. So a certain teacher would be um, motivated to improve their school, and that's why they would take on a new initiative. The next one is help me engage and challenge more of my students in a way that's manageable. So that teacher would uh, be interested in a new initiative because they're interested in engaging and challenging their students more. Uh, the third one here is uh, help me replace a broken instructional model so that I can reach each student. So I think that this one kind of comes out of frustration sometimes. Uh, someone is uh, has been teaching in a way that they know isn't reaching all students and they're interested in a new product or service or initiative because of that. And then finally, the last one, which is one that you really don't want to, um, it's kind of a, a, a last uh, a last ditch effort to get people on board is help me not fall behind on my school's new initiative. So kind of the last reason you want people to take on something is because you know, they were told to do so, or they are just trying to keep up and not fall behind from everybody else. So um, I wanted to ask you, Dennis, uh, have you seen some of these things in your leadership role? Um, have you seen kind of, you know, uh, initiatives fail? And uh, have you seen maybe some of these reasons for people taking on new initiatives uh, in, in your practice? You're kidding, right? Initiatives don't fail. I mean, anytime a school <laughs> leader decides to come up with a good idea or attends a conference where a good idea is shared with them and they bring it back to their district, it's totally obvious that every teacher is going to want to feel and think exactly the same way. Or so I probably have believed in the past, and many right, leaders yeah. I've worked with in the past have have believed. And no, that totally doesn't work. I mean, there is that phrase out there from some leaders of being kind of, quote, just as good as the last conference. So whatever they went and did and heard about, about, they come back and all of a sudden it's uprooting something in a school because they've got a whole new thing to try. And they didn't even buy into it. They were just motivated by it. So there's, yeah, there, there's, there's failure in initiatives. There's initiative fatigue from constant change or over initiative. And so, yes, those things, they happen a lot. They, and uh, you're right. The top-down approach uh, can be effective if what that top-down initiative is is already clearly universally accepted by the group you know something that everybody wants to be involved in but if you want to try to change a person's mind or uh, really in, uh, change an attitude towards something you can't do that from the top you've got to find where that attitude change already exists so yeah i do see failure in those initiatives and from a personal example i was really motivated recently to change homework procedures as a, as a math administrator. And I had research, I had evidence, and I had all these great ideas for why we should change it. But what kind of happened was the teachers I was working with, they just couldn't wrap around it at the moment. They, want, they, they felt it, they maybe wanted some of it, but like, I just couldn't get behind it. And so my initiative hit 
a wall. It's kind of like when you know you you decided you want to buy something and you do all the research, you show how it's all worth it and where the money's going to come from, and then you go to your wife and she's like, "No, we're not doing that." So, <laughs> like, like well, what was all my time for? Yeah. But yeah, those initiatives do fail, and uh, I think this is a good approach to think about why, think about what is it the role that our teachers play, and how can I make this initiative successful? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean. Um... Even if an initiative is somewhat easy to implement on the teacher's part, I find that there still is that initial pushback if they feel like this is being pushed upon them. It's something they have to do. Um, I am with you uh, recently. I uh, have been working on an initiative to get this math program um, working um, uh, in more of my five to eight class or grade five to eight classrooms. It's something that we've already purchased. All of the students are already in the roster. The teachers all have accounts with classes and the students have used it before. So kind of checking off all those kind of ease of implementation checkboxes. And I still have to, you know, provide proper PD and really go in and do model lessons and convince teachers that it's worthwhile at using this instead of something else. And, uh, you know, you really have to, uh, be very careful, even if it seems like a simple thing to implement into a classroom, you really have to consider all the moving pieces and all of the considerations that go into a teacher's practice. Because even though you think it might be a simple thing to start using uh, a computer program for exit tickets instead of doing paper exit tickets, you know, uh, that's a big change for some people. And, uh, um, you know, you mentioned uh, the the saying that you're only as good as the last PD you went to. I do feel like that there's a fear of the new thing because so many times people have come back from a conference or learning about a new product and, you know, just think that it's great for everybody and everybody's going to think it's going to change their practice. And really you have to put consideration into who you're dealing with and, uh, and the experiences of those people. Uh, a lot of educators have been around for a while and they've seen that new thing come in and fail um, after someone was excited about it and did the exact same thing that I'm trying to do. They've seen things that I'm trying to implement fail before. So it's tough when you first start being in a leadership position and providing professional development and thinking that, you know, I'm providing a service and I want people on board because I think it's, you know, they'll benefit from it. And, but unless people can see how it's going to benefit them, they're not going to just jump on in. It's, uh, it takes a lot more consideration. I agree. And this is what's interesting is I started as a, a math supervisor, as an administrator in uh, 2012 when I moved back to New Jersey. And what was interesting was it was the exact same time within like a month's time frame that the state had adopted the common core standards and adopted a new evaluation model and adopted a new testing model with park testing. And uh, I came in and began the implementation process on that and hit major walls with a lot of teachers who had been through similar iterations of this in the past and said, we'll just wait it out. It's going to change. And as long as we don't do anything too stupid, we'll be fine. Or as long as, you know, we can keep our eye on things and just do what we've always done, it'll be fine. And I thought, we, like, this is the future. We got to go with this. We got to make our changes in my new, naive, young leadership way. And here I am six years later, and some of those changes are reverting back. And some of those things are, some of the teachers were right. And so if I just said, we got to make this change from the top down, uh, 
it would have been much harder to break through that that crust. And this is what I like about this jobs to be done model and this jobs to be done theory is uh, it takes the leader and says, here, you need to identify something other than your own initiative and how to implement it. You need to identify your players and you need to identify their strengths. And I was a track coach for 12 years and I loved it. I love coaching boys track. I had runners, throwers, sprinters, jumpers, vaulters, at relays, hurdles, everything. And it was so exciting for me to coach those kids. But if I took a kid who was a natural distance runner, miler, two miler, and said, you know what, this guy's a real natural athlete. I'm thinking I'm going to have him run the 110 meter hurdles because of his natural athletic ability. Uh, he might have done it for me. But it probably wouldn't have had the success level that I wanted because his body was built for something else and his motivation already existed in some other area of my team. So instead, I looked for a sprinter who was a high-quality sprinter who hadn't thought about hurdles but who had the characteristics that he would be good at hurdling that I could see as the coach. And I went to him and said, listen, I need you to help my team win this year what we don't have is a 110 meter hurdler who can score in these big meets and i think you can be it are you willing to train with me and take on that role and they did and i had success with that and that's that's what the leadership in this jobs to be done theory is it's finding those people in your school who already have a desire to improve the school and then going to them and saying i have some ideas for improving the school but i need you to help my team to be on my team to help me be successful i need you to take the baton on this relay i need you to be this hurdler i need you instead of running that relay today i need you to step out and i need you to run this individual race because you can score these points there how about i need you to find a way for me to engage students on a student level or i need you to help me identify what's broken and not working in this model so that we can fix it and then i had 150 boys on my track team that's a huge team wow, and i can guarantee you they were not all good athletes <laughs> it was there was, I, there was a few that were amazing, a group that was great, and a lot that were there because of the culture of our team, and they enjoyed being there. And those kids, I really needed to help me keep my team afloat, keep my team alive, but to fill those gaps, quite literally, those kids did their workouts to give my better athletes rest. <laughs> You know, like I had the top athletes running, and I needed them to take a break, so I had the other athletes doing theirs in between. They played a role to help me not fall behind on the team initiative that I had for our team <laughs> success. And I think that's a, it's an interesting analogy to this, but I really do think that it's true that uh, we need to find what the, the, the skill set of our teachers are in regards to change, not just in regards to teaching, and, and join them there. And that harkens into one of the tap chapters in the first, or one of the stories in the first chapter of Instant Relevance, which is where I tell about my son who's playing a video game and he wants me to join with him and I can't join with him, but uh, he wants, he says to me, dad, meet me at my best and then we'll go together, which means he wants me to meet him at his all time high score so that I can help him get a new all time high score. But that phrase has stuck with me from student, from teachers looking to students. Like we need to differentiate our instruction and understand where our kids are so that we can meet them at their best and try to help them progress. But that's also true in this model where we look at, the teachers and say, what is, where can I meet you at your best? What are you best at in my school culture and community that you can then help me move forward? So I really like that model and I like the idea behind it instead of just trying to find a way to successfully force the implementation, but to really make it flow and become a grassroots effort because you planted seeds. 
Yeah, definitely. I would encourage anybody who's listening who's interested in this to not only check out the Christensen Institute, they do a lot of great work, but also this report, uh, it's going to be in the notes for the episode, but also it's called The Teacher's Quest for Progress, How School Leaders Can Motivate Instructional Innovation. And uh, I'm going to actually throw it back to Dennis now because he has a uh, make it real moment that we're going to discuss um, that has to do with uh, a topic that our, uh, our guest brings up. So, Dennis, what do you have for us? Right. So, Rich is a, he's a great leader and a, a great professional developer. He's got his eyes on his staff and his team, and he's got his hands to the ground, like, feeling what's going on there. And I feel like he's definitely um, on the pulse of what's going on. And one of the things he put out on Twitter recently was something that uh, is, again, another connection to one of the chapter sections in my book, Instant Relevance. And it was that we are both major fans of the TV show Chopped. So I love cooking shows, and I love kind of learning from them and trying stuff out. And I have always been the uh, throw-it-together meal type of person where you come home and we're like, what are we eating for dinner? And say, I don't know. Give me 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, you come up with something excellent. And I love that, which is why I love that show Chopped, which takes uh, the model of opening up a basket with unknown ingredients, and it pits chefs against each other to try to come up with the best meal or appetizer or dessert from those ingredients. And Rich has found an effective professional development tool using Chopped and has some examples of that in a tweet he recently put out in a post he put out on his 4 o'clock faculty site, which uh, Will Link and I encourage you to check out. But at the same time, uh, I saw something happen in a classroom uh, a little while back where a student had, or it was a, a second grade classroom, and the teacher had asked the students to solve a problem. And uh, when they, they didn't do it in the quite conventional way that the teacher had wanted, but when the student had explained what they had done, that teacher took a moment and said, wait a second. You did, you did this in a really interesting way. Hey, everybody, let's try to find three ways to do this. See if we can solve this problem three ways. And that made me think of the TV show Chopped because so many times they get some random set of ingredients and what they do is they prepare a meal of uh, whatever that ingredient is. Let's say it's, uh, let's go with ginger root, which is a disgusting main ingredient for a meal. Um, but they'll do ginger root three ways and they'll make a plate of it and do it three different ways and uh so that idea of when someone comes to you either a student says here's how i did it or i have a question about this or a teacher comes to you and says i got this thing um and how can i do it i think it's a great opportunity for us as a primary feedback tool to turn it back to a student who's got a question or back to a teacher who's got a question or idea and say why don't you come up with three ways to do that because if you can come up with three ways to do that, we can probably extract one pretty great way to do that. And so whether it's a PD initiative or a change or a, a new technology that a teacher wants to try or it's a problem that a kid wants solved or a, just a question that they have on their own. A kid came up and said, hey, I want to make my own uh, I want to make my own fidget spinner. I want to try my own thing. I'm like, well, I don't know how to do that. Let's find three ways to do it and come up with the best way. Uh, it encourages a broad approach to problem solving, and it puts three things in front of you that says, now, let's begin the design process in our own thinking of taking out the, the, the good elements versus the bad and refining and revising and coming up with you know, a pretty effective tool. So I don't know if you've had an opportunity to try anything like that in the past, but I'd encourage you to, to, uh, to turn it back on someone when they ask for help and say, let's come up with three ways to make this happen and then use that as your springboard for learning. So I'm definitely on board with the uh, the chopped model for making meals. Um, tonight uh, we had uh, 
leftover chow mein and hot dogs. So, uh, you know, when I feed my children, it seems to be kind of a mishmash of uh, whatever packaged goods I can put on a plate. And uh, Call that one doggy chow. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, yeah, they ate it and they were fed. So that's the important part. But um, getting back to what you were talking about, I really like this uh, show me three ways uh, structure in challenging students because the things that we try to get out of instruction are not only uh, choice, but also personalization. And just that simple kind of throwback question, one sentence, show me three ways to do it. You've automatically personalized that for that student and you've you know, instantly given them uh, a choice in the way that they present the material. So, you know, I love it. And uh, I think that it, it would fit in a lot, a variety of different contexts. And it uh, really would start making the students think outside of the box because especially I know in math, kids are, you know, really turning into just kind of box checkers and the fact that they just want to get the right answer so they can put it on the paper so that they can get the grade. And this really opens up their mind and says, you know, it's not about just getting that one question right. It's about really understanding, you know, how the math behind it or, you know, the theory behind it, if you're talking about science or, or whatever, you're really getting to the driving force of it. Because if you have to explain more than one way of doing something, it's, uh, you, you really have to have a deep understanding of the material. Yeah, I think that's great, too, because when we think about uh, asking even younger kids to try to do something three ways, what they end up doing is showing uh, the same way three times without realizing that they're doing that. So we might even need to give them some guidance involved, like show me the most efficient, fastest way to do it. Show me uh, something that expresses you know, a visual way to do it. And then show me what do you think might be the most unique way to do this. Uh, and so we scaffold in their their thinking to, to start thinking that way. And then they'll start looking for those other outside the box ideas where with some of our older students and teachers, they naturally gravitate towards looking for those unique opportunities and, and those those chances to be different. So yeah, I'd like to see if uh, if any of our listeners try to pick up the, uh, the three ways model of trying to figure out uh, how to get students to self-personalize. I think that's a great way to, to think that. Uh, they can share it with us, share it with me at mathdennisnj or at instantrel to the podcast or at Ray, tell everybody what your Twitter chat, Twitter handle is. Uh, blended underscore math. Blended underscore math. Don't forget the underscore. I have tweeted at Ray before at blended math, and he did not get it. That is so, someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so make sure you get that one right. Yeah. Well, Ray, I think we're ready to welcome our guest to the show. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's time for us to have uh, Rich Chiz on the show, the author of the four o'clock faculty. We are really excited to welcome Rich Chiz to the the Instant Relevance Podcast, Episode 4. Uh, Rich is the author of the 4 O'Clock Faculty book, which is a rogue guide to revolutionizing professional development and is the newly minted principal of Yardville Elementary School in Hamilton Township, New Jersey. And Rich and I have known each other for a little while back and forth on Twitter. We've connected in person, and Rich is doing amazing things with professional development, with leadership in his school and in his school district. And I am always excited when I get a chance to sit down and hear something new. But what caught my eye about Rich this past week was he put out an excellent way for 
uh, principals and leaders to organize a professional development opportunity that is based around the Chopped TV show on the Food Network. And that just you know, pinged me right away because I've got a section in Instant Relevance on how much I love that Chopped TV show and how I've used it in schools and how teachers can use it in schools. So I would love to open the floor to Rich to tell us a little bit more about that, a little bit more about uh, how he's been doing professional development with things like that. And uh, let's hear where you can go from there. Welcome, Rich. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I am happy to be here and uh, happy to talk uh, not only Chopped PD, uh, but also revolutionizing PD otherwise. So uh, the idea for Chopped, uh, I was kind of in one of those moods back in the spring uh, of this year where I was uh, pretty much watching chopped television only <laughs> and it was uh you know every night uh sitting down watching episodes um you know even if they were reruns i would watch them over and over again so i was absolutely in love with the show uh back in the spring and i was looking for something to do uh with staff at one of our upcoming staff meetings uh try to make it as fun and meaningful and relevant for staff as possible and i thought hey why not let's uh let's take the chopped idea let's have teachers um you know, come in and take a look at uh, a lesson and some different ideas for doing that lesson. And uh, let's really have them uh, base it off the show. Let's have them come up with their best ideas. Let's have them uh, use some unknown ingredients, uh, which is a staple of the show. And uh, let's, let's see what kind of lessons they can come up with. And from there, we had each of our teachers uh, pair off uh, with some of their colleagues come up with an idea for a lesson based on a standard that they would be teaching and uh, see what kind of ideas they came up with and they came up with some awesome lessons and from there we did some voting uh, to see who came up with the best lesson and eventually we chopped some of the uh, participants but we we whittled down to one great lesson per standard and uh, it was a great way to do it a great way to spend a faculty meeting so yeah it was fun for the staff fun for me uh, and and really something that um, you know kind of took off uh, with the staff. So I guess my initial question is, what are some other ways that you you mentioned you're revolutionizing PD or trying to at least for your staff? What are some other ways that you've kind of taken uh, something more relevant uh, to the teachers' world and you know ask them uh, to do the same thing in PD? Yeah, for me, it's all about that modeling piece. Uh, and it's really getting teachers, you know, if, I, if I'm expecting to see something in the classroom, uh, I better be modeling it as the administrator and giving them a chance to uh, kind of see what, you know, they might do in their classroom. Uh, last year, we did a QR code scavenger hunt uh, within our building, uh, which worked out really well. Uh, so, you know, the last thing staff wants to do uh, at a staff meeting at the end of the day when they've taught for six and a half hours is kind of sit and listen to somebody drone on. So uh, again, what I tried to do is model some of those different things. Uh, so I had them come in at the end of the day. Uh, we, we took iPads. Uh, I had put up, put up QR codes around the building to have them kind of take a look um, at some different resources. And we asked them to share some of their best ideas from those resources uh, using the QR codes and had them go about on a scavenger hunt around the building. And, um, you know, again, it's it's a great way for them to kind of uh, collaborate together, um, again, to model what we should be seeing with students and uh, to give them an experience that is not like uh, a lot of PD that's out there. Um, so really taking something that 
gives them an opportunity to kind of practice, uh, in this case with technology, so it was the, the QR codes, uh, but really letting them kind of free to go about on their own. And, and the best piece of it was, you know, a week later, uh, our second grade team had devised a QR code scavenger hunt for students. You know, so we had 100 second graders running around the building with iPads, uh, you know, doing their, their math scavenger hunt, uh, which was awesome. You know, it was, it, was, it was great to see it used that quickly after we implemented it at our staff meeting. Rich, I love that. That's the, the, the really fun part about modeling is when you see it remodeled somewhere else. And I, uh, I do that at home. Obviously, I love watching the Chopped show, too. I will binge watch it, watch it and, you know, get through season after season. And then all of a sudden, I realize, wow, I should make dinner. So I go into the <laughs> kitchen, and I'm looking around. I don't have anything. So my, my daughter, who wants to potentially grow up to be a professional chef, will just pull things out of the closet and say, go, let's make something with this. And it's a lot of fun to do that because, you know, our mindset has been prepared for it because we've been watching these videos of other people doing it. And I love the fact that you came up with high quality lessons and that even though you voted on a winner for the day, you still valued those other lessons that might not have won because of the effort. Just like on that show, you know, you got four, three or four chefs at a time who are putting out such incredible meals. They're all valued by the judges, although one of them might be at that point judged to be the winner for whatever reason. The interesting thing is that you get so many different outcomes from the same ingredients. You get so many different potential meals from the same things in the basket. Just like when our kids walk into our classroom and we put the same ingredients of our lesson right in front of them, we have to be able to expect that we're gonna get something unique and different from each kid. That's what I love about what I took away from that show was I saw kids who were doing math problems in totally different ways and their teacher didn't cut them off and say, no, 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 do it this way. This is the right way to do it. But instead put them all up and then said, here's a new problem. Can we all try to do it three different ways? That's a, a person who grabs onto an opportunity to, sh to realize my kids are all different and maybe exposing them to what the other kids are doing can give them the feedback and a new understanding to what uh, they might be able to do in the future. So I love that you saw that modeled in your school and that, you know, when given the opportunity, those teachers took it and, and worked with it. And even in as much as the fact that they probably got a chance then to think, or even if you give them a follow-up prompt of how did you feel when you saw those ingredients? Because you were just put on the spot to try something new. I gave you addition and subtraction within a hundred to solve a lesson, to solve a problem. Here's what you get to use, pencils and a technology. Like all of a sudden they're looking at this and saying, wow, I have, you know, I better get to work on this. And, and they're, they're feeling, they're thinking, working. And that it will remind them what their students feel like on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, to give them that opportunity is excellent. I love what you're doing with other PD bites uh, in the short term. So why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the, uh, the short PD things that you did or that you do like during the school day when you only have a couple minutes here and there? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that we kind of struggled with was the time piece. And uh, we kind of realized that teachers need to be um, in the building or required to be in the building by contract uh, 15 minutes prior to the day and uh, 15 minutes at the end of the day. Uh, so we really wanted to take advantage of that time. Uh, we started something called Tech Mex Tuesday, uh, where we would, you know, kind of combine that idea of, you know, a tech tip on a Tuesday uh, and also Taco Tuesday from the Lego movie, which is uh, one, one of the favorites in our house here. And, 
really kind of combined those ideas. And, you know, for the 15 minutes, as soon as students were gone, as soon as the buses were gone, we would start up um, in the library. We would offer a tech tool resource website, uh, whatever it may be that day uh, for 15 minutes. We would, you know, sometimes bring in the chips and salsa. Sometimes we would bring in the quesadilla maker. Uh, we would serve up some food. And uh, the best thing about it was, you know, even though it was 15 minutes that was required of teachers to be there, they were learning something new um, that they could bring back to students right away. Uh, and then usually it lasted well beyond that 15 minutes. You know, people were staying uh, to explore uh, with, you know, whatever app or resource it may be, um, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, uh, well beyond, you know, the time that they were required to be there. Um, but basically because the the idea was interesting to them or it was something that they felt like they wanted to explore before they uh, brought it to their students. So, you know, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, PD doesn't have to, to come in these, you know, um, only on PD days or uh, in these very large, gigantic sessions. Uh, sometimes it could just be a kind of a quick hit, you know, 10, 15 minutes, uh, get people in and out to learn about something that they can use the next day. I think the key there is that you offered food. Um, I'm slowly <laughs> learning that uh, the best way to any staff's heart is, is through the stomach, uh, just like most people. Um, so um, I've definitely bribed teachers with food already um, this school year to either fill out a survey or you know attend my next PD. But one thing that comes to mind, and um, you know, I'm loving that you're kind of changing the relationship that your staff has with PD because, you know, overwhelmingly I find that even myself throughout my own teaching career, there's just this negative connotation of, oh, this, you know, we have to do this, you know, and, you know, this is just going to mean more work for me uh, or, you know, I'm going to go in this meeting and I'm not going to learn anything. So it's great that you're changing that relationship that your staff has so that, they know when they show up to even a 15 minute session that it's going to be something useful. Um, I guess my question is, is what do you do with those kind of hard to reach um, staff members who, you know, are going to sit there maybe with their arms crossed the whole time, or maybe someone who, you know, is defensive because they aren't strong with technology and maybe they're against the idea because of other reasons, because they're afraid of trying it in their classroom because of the technology. What do you do to kind of bridge that extra mile to those staff members that might be traditionally harder to, to reach? Yeah, and, and uh, in one of my previous districts, I definitely dealt with that. Um, you know, would stand up to present, would ask a question, would throw something out there and, and would get blank stares back. And uh, number one, it was a matter of keeping at it. Um, so being consistent in, in expectations and, you know, here's how I'm going to try to do PD. And, uh, you know, if, if it doesn't work once, um, I'm not going to stop. Uh, so it's really kind of being consistent with it, uh, continuing to show staff that there is uh, another way of doing PD. Um, as you said, it does kind of have that negative connotation, but showing them it doesn't have to be that way. So again, modeling some of those things, um, really kind of tapping some of those teachers um, in the areas of their strengths. So, you know, if you do have someone who is not necessarily um, technology savvy, um, you know, finding out what they do well, um, having them share that at a staff meeting, having them share that uh, with colleagues, sending somebody uh, into their classroom to see what they're doing really well. Uh, I think 
you know, for, for most teachers, they're doing something well. Um, there's a strength there. And, uh, you know, I think we can kind of take advantage of that. Uh, but it's really, again, keeping at it. Um, one of the other things that I kind of push hard for as well are voluntary sessions. Um, I do a lot of before and after school uh, meetings that are voluntary. Uh, so I'm not expecting everyone to come. And, you know, again, we all have um, busy lives outside of school. So, you know, there's some people who want to be there but can't. Um, so, you know, never any judgment on why someone is or is not there, uh, but just providing those opportunities for them to uh, really take advantage of. And, um, you know, it might not be for everyone, but um, even if it's one or two people who are showing up to learn, those people are moving forward uh, with something new for their students. So, um, you know, I take advantage of every opportunity that presents itself that way. Yeah, that's fantastic. The voluntary opportunities are are great. Like you said, it's a judgment-free environment here. If you got a chance to come and you want to, hey, just come. And if you, if you don't, seriously, we get it. We, we're all busy. And uh, we built a system around that, uh, around our lunchtime with that. Uh, you know, it's a lunch and learn idea where somebody might have, an op have something they want to present or share, and they're just going to prepare it. And anybody who wants to come can grab their lunch, go sit there and eat and learn at the same time. And then, uh, you know, they know who the expert is on that idea because they just met with them there. We've even done that in a, our high school with our counselors who you know, they want to present something on like a new topic or a new thing about colleges and Naviance and programs. Hey, we're just going to show you how to use this each day at lunch for the for this week. Anybody wants to stop in, stop in. And uh, that's it, it builds momentum when they realize they don't have to plan for hours. I don't have to even plan, you know, to come in on a Saturday for a workshop that my district is planning. It's a pretty cool workshop, but if I don't go, maybe everyone's wondering why I'm not there. It's a, it's, it's a good opportunity for, for people to just uh, jump in when they can, and then hopefully realize that they have a skill or that they're really passionate about something that they can turn around and, uh, and offer to others as well. So Rich, I got uh, one final question for you here. And actually, I guess it's a, it's a double question. So uh, four o'clock faculty has been out for about a year now, and I'm wondering if you have a particular story or something that you've learned uh, in your time over this year. I know in my first year, I got to sh to talk with a lot of people in different schools, and they were their creativity towards uh, how to make te teaching and learning more relevant and engaging really uh, gave me some great new ideas. So I'm wondering if you have a new idea that came from uh, you know people you've spoken to who've read your book or you've shared with. Um, and if you'd share that with us and if you got anything else, you know, coming up in the future that we should look forward to. Sure. So, yeah, it's been an amazing year. It's just over a year that the book's been out. It came out uh, at the beginning of August last year. And um, it has just been an opportunity to kind of connect with other people who are doing amazing things with uh, professional development. And I'm constantly learning uh, from people. And uh, actually, I, uh, in the Chopped PD post that I did, um, I shared a link to Mandy Ellis's uh, work. She did uh, a much fancier version of uh, the Chopped uh, staff meeting um, than I did. Mine was very simple. Um, so I made sure to highlight hers because it, it was amazing uh, what she did. I mean, she had mixing bowls and everyone was dressed uh, like a chef. And uh, it, was, it was really, really fun. It, it looked really fun. So... Um, you know, again, I'm just learning from everyone. Um, probably the biggest thing that has happened uh, with the four o'clock faculty, we started a Voxer book study uh, back in January, uh, which was designed as a four week, a four week study of the book. And uh, so I had a, a gentleman by the name of Matt Larson, uh, also from New Jersey, reach out to me 
Uh, he was interested in hosting a book study, asked if I would pop in occasionally uh, to talk about the book, which I'm always happy to do. And uh, so for four weeks, uh, he came up with the questions and we kind of chatted about it. And uh, in the fourth week, there were about, I would say, 80 or so uh, members of the group who had been taking part. And in the fourth week, we decided, you know, do we want to continue some of these conversations? Uh, because it started to venture off into all things um, in other sorts of education topics, not necessarily related to professional development. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say uh, the group is still going about 40 strong um, to this day. So here we are about uh, nine months later, that group is still active, uh, hundreds of messages every day. Uh, they have renamed themselves the 40CF PLN uh, and, and they describe it as a family. And it, it is something, you know, when the book kind of spawns something like that and uh, it takes off where educators are passionate and uh, finding their own professional development on their own through Boxer. Um, you know, that's probably the most powerful part of the book. Uh, the message is, you know, sometimes you need to find your own professional development. Sometimes you need to go rogue. You need to find it on your own. And, um, you know, that 40CF PLN is a testament to that message. And, uh, you know, I'm proud that they took that and uh, have continued on with that um, throughout the year and uh, hope that they keep it going. And uh, I love to jump in there as often as I can now, uh, just to chat because they're brilliant educators who are sharing every day. It's uh, always interesting when you write something you don't really know and you put it out there on the internet. You're not really exactly sure who's going to read it. And uh, I know on my blog, I can like look at the stats of where it comes from around the world and who's reading uh, some of my stuff. And I just wonder, you know, what additional steps I could take to reach those people. And that's uh, amazing that you got so many people that were reading your writing to, to get together and kind of form their own PD group uh, and uh, advocate for some of the things that you've written about. That's, uh, you know, sounds like a dream come true. That's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, as I said, it's, um, you know, it gets to the point every day where you're, you know, you're, you think you're caught up and uh, suddenly there's 200 messages uh, 30 minutes later. So uh, just people who are very active and uh, thinking about education in all sorts of ways and thinking how we can innovate and continue to move forward. Yeah, my wife's still getting used to all the different sounds my phone makes because of the <laughs> boxers making a sound that sounds like a CB radio. It's buzzing from Twitter. It's like, you know, what? I'm just going to turn the sound off now for a little bit. Yeah. So, um, Rich, why don't you have our li listeners know uh, how they can get a hold of you, where they can find your book, and uh, more about you and what you've been doing. Sure. So um, the website is 4oclockfaculty.com, uh, F-O-U-R, o'clockfaculty.com. And uh, you can get links to the book there. Um, uh, we post generally about four times a week, um, Monday through Thursday, uh, between myself and uh, my partner in crime, Trevor Bryan, who is an art teacher. And, uh, you know, we share a lot of different topics on there, not just professional development, but uh, different things that will continue to help people move forward and, and move their students forward as well. So all the information can be found on the website. And then, uh, you know, in the meantime, there, there may be another book on the way as well. Well, that's uh, really exciting to hear. I hope that you continue to write and share. Uh, and if there is another one on the way, uh, I would love to be the first in line to get a copy of that one. So thank you for joining us on uh, this evening. 
uh, taking some time out of your day as you prepare to go back to be a principal to all those littles. Uh, we appreciate your time and your energy and all you've done for them and will continue to do for them. So uh, again, one final thank you. And we look forward to seeing all the excellent things you do this year as you post on Twitter. And uh, from those future projects, we're excited too. Awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us for the Instant Relevance Podcast, Episode 4, with our special guest, Rich Chiz. We encourage you to share your ideas and thoughts that you've picked up from listening to the episode today with us on Twitter at MathDennisNJ or at Blended underscore Math or follow the podcast at Instant Rel. Again, thanks for being with us. We hope that we can learn together and grow together and share together. And we are excited for what the next episode will bring. Thank you.